You're listening to Ravens at the Crossroads. I'm Mistress Prime. I'm Tyler Matthews. And today we're with Glenn Turner. Hi, Glenn. Hi, everybody. Welcome aboard uh, online. Uh, how are you doing in the uh, lockdown currently, or shelter in place, excuse me? It's not shelter. In, well, is it shelter in place where you're at? I'm calling it a lockdown. <laughs> okay. <laughs> pretty much shelter in place here in Berkeley. It's, it's pretty nice because people are wearing masks when they go out for walks. And so we walk in the neighborhood and, uh, you know, keep our distance and wear masks when somebody's around. I take mine off when I'm climbing a hill and huffing and puffing because it's all hills mm-hmm. here. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's... Yeah. And also um, I've, connected up again with my daughter and grandson and son-in-law we've decided we're a pod nice because uh, my daughter brings me groceries and um so I, i'm in contact with her so why not just like include the whole family and my grandson came to visit and it's really nice i mean we're not in the same house but um fortunately <laughs> uh, a seven-year-old is kind of bouncy yeah <laughs> think you've had enough bouncy in your life <laughs> so yeah I'm enjoying my retirement it in some ways it I feel guilty because it really doesn't bother me at all all to uh, shelter in place because I've been this is what I was planning to do when I retired is to take a staycation off from everything and mm-hmm. just sort of like let myself uh, go into a reset mode mm-hmm. only got lots of company at this point that people are you know a lot of people are looking at reset mode mm-hmm. and that's a lot you're absolutely right a lot of people are looking at reset um either by choice or because yeah. they're realizing oh uh i'm 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 the problem all of a sudden <laughs> nobody's around me and i'm the problem <laughs> Well, the economy was, uh, you know, headed for a crash anyway. And this, mm-hmm. really, uh, I think fast. this is just going to force, really I think this is just going to force everybody to kind of rethink how to make things work in general and, um, you know, kind of streamline some of the stuff that we were doing before. Like maybe it, maybe it is easier to have, employees some you know some of your employees work at home versus having a large office and Mm. having everybody come into the office maybe it's maybe you could have a smaller office footprint and uh save money in that regard so you could pay your employees a little better something like that think of the commute pollution right Mm -hmm. and all the people trapped in automobiles for a couple hours a day um it Really, you know, there's a lot to be said for Zoom meetings, uh, even though it's not quite the same. Um, you know, about 50-50 would make more sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, one of my um, one of my closest friends lives up in San Jose, and uh, she works from home now. But before she was working for a law firm in the city in San Francisco. So it was a two hour commute each direction. Soul crushing. Mm. 
she was she was pretty much only working or commuting and it really kind of knocked her for a loop for a no, long it time makes sense. It's, it's not a good system that no well and doing what i did because i got let go just prior to everything going down uh from my day job and it was actually right before we went up to Pantheacon. I got the news less than a week before, and it's like, yeah, ah, not only did you cut my pay by forty-five percent, but or no, it was thirty-five percent. Excuse 35. me. Yeah, uh, you let me go uh, with three days' notice, and I was like, okay, well, let's get started on that, and uh, then everything kind of happened and now nobody's hiring and you've got so many people in the system trying to take advantage of the programs and we're finding that they're lacking. What, what do you mean take advantage uh, of, of uh, the social programs? They're talking about like unemployment, uh, Medi-Cal. Oh yeah. Uh, all the things that were there and people are like, Oh, those are waste of money. We shouldn't be doing that. We shouldn't be doing this. And then all of a sudden they're sitting there like, uh, what do you mean I only get four fifty a week? Right. Yeah, like all those extra personal protective equipment just sitting there. But mm -hmm. you know, we shouldn't there was not enough redundancy in in the system, so everybody was cost cutting and uh cutting the needed sustainable redundancy. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. The the system was going down, it was really obvious. To me, uh, shipping had dropped in November uh, worldwide. I mean, we were very obviously heading towards a worldwide um, depression. Mm -hmm. And, you know, 08 never got settled properly. They just propped everything up with duct tape or whatever. Right. It, it was it was a Band-Aid, and we just kind of hobbled along, hoping that we could make changes as we needed to. And... Now the Band-Aid's blown off and the field medicine isn't working. I think there are a lot of people figured they would just make the big bucks while they could. And, mm -hmm. you know, um, yeah, kind of a, I don't know, wild cowboy scene where everybody is just looking for a fast buck. And, you know, buybacks of stock was just the craziest thing under the sun. It should never have been legal. It should have never been allowed. There's a lot of things I'm sitting, I'm sitting here looking back on the history of things. I'm just like, well, shoot. Well, I've been it, sitting here watching it go down and I was amazed that they propped it up so well after 08. Yeah. Well, and the crazy thing is, is 08 really screwed my group of people because we just got done with college and we had all these loans that had to come due. And then they're like, Oh, there's no jobs for you. All those promises. That was the original student debt scam. Yeah. That mm -hmm. they hoisted on you guys. And I, I don't have debt. In fact, you know, I've been one of the few people, no debt period. My retail shop, no debt period. I mean, I That's was amazing. enough to have some, floating cash uh, from the shop to help prop up Pantheacon when it needed and vice versa. Um, but, you know, no debt. 
and that's right. absolutely amazing. You guys got taken for a ride. I, yeah, I, I can tell you that the debt I'm left with from school and everything else like that, plus my husband's schooling, we're in the tens of thousands. Yeah, right. Because of that, yeah. and it's Same and here. those stimulus checks that twelve hundred dollars. <laughs> The banks are taking it for the loans that people owe. That's mm-hmm. any child support, anything like that, that anybody owed student debts wiped it out. So nobody got it. Who got it? The bankers for the interest rate that they didn't get on those scam loans in the beginning. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it, it, no, it's 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 frustrating. It truly, truly is frustrating. And but we could go on to an entire segment I think, oh, yeah. on that. How the system but, is rigged. Yeah. Uh, I do want to kind of focus more on you and uh, what you've done in the One community. One of my abiding interests is economics and finance. I was going to be going to economics out of college and political science. I was a political science major. And then for a trade, I got biology, figuring I needed something I could get a, a quick job with because nobody was mm-hmm. going to hire me an economist well I, I didn't take an economics because i knew it was a scam back then right the, when i graduated well it served you well uh running the store i'm sure and the convention and i never had a business class ever but you know all it takes is common sense and the ability to read you know difficult mm-hmm. stuff or just figure stuff out you know so cookie chairman i i like to say that my business experience was when i was the girl scout cookie chairman when my daughters <laughs> that was my business uh, training okay now you mentioned your history in college now going through and uh looking at things that's about the time you get started getting into the pagan space isn't it uh not no, actually, when I was a little kid, I was into stuff like that. Okay, okay. I mean, um, I have a background of uh, California Bay Area Bohemianism, and my parents were radicals in the 30s. And um, my mother was a poet. My father was a lawyer. Okay. He worked with uh, FDR's, um, you know, uh, administration my father did so we lived in washington for a bit during world war ii or, yeah okay and then back here uh all their friends were artists and you know radicals and okay so in in um i can remember in high school my mother was reading a book and she was talking to a friend of her about uh, a book called the hebrew goddess i was about 15 and I thought, oh, that's that sounds wonderful. And I begged my parents to let me use a part of the basement of the house to set up a temple to Lilith. And because I thought uh, Adam's first wife sounded more interesting than anything I'd ever heard of. So I said, sure. They said, sure. So I cleaned out this mess. Then, But when I wanted to borrow the brass candles and candlesticks and things like that, It's like they didn't, you know, like a 13-year-old should not be playing with candles in the basement. (laughs) So that kind of put the end to my vision of um, a a kind of a temple space. Mm -hmm. Okay. 
Okay. So Actually, um, it goes back even farther. My grandmother, who was a Protestant, my mother's mother, mm. took me to a chapel on uh, uh, Pacific Heights, uh, Grace Cathedral, and a side chapel. It had lots of candles and brass and and red carpets. And I thought this is beautiful. I, I thought it was really nice. It, she asked me, since she knew my parents were atheists, um, she asked me, she would I, you know, promise her to um, what have religion or something like that? I said, yes, yes, Grammy, I'll, you know, I'll have a spiritual religion. Little did she know that I'd find witchcraft as my spiritual religion. How do you think she'd feel? If she knew? How do you think she'd feel if she knew? Horrified. She'd, she'd be sure that I just had followed in my parents' footsteps. So I'm not an innovator. They, they, my mother was into poetry and, uh, you know, I'm just as radical as they were. Okay. Okay. Um, so one of the things I saw in one of the in other interviews was uh, when you started doing uh, sabbats. Okay. Yeah, uh, that that's what I had thought was the beginning, but it's very interesting to learn that you've had a pat or history with it even before that. That's actually very cool. Well, well, actually, yeah. When I was a kid, my we lived in Mill Valley, and there was a redwood ring in the front yard. And as a kid, I, my mother would go out and play because get out of my hair type of thing. <laughs> and so basically, I spent a lot of time, you know, clambering around in, in the local creek. And the redwood ring was like my perfect cathedral. And so later, when we did have open sabbats, one of the first open sabbats, well, they were all open. We just invited our friends. Um, we started celebrating them and my parents' redwood ring was just fine. It would hold about 60, 70, 80 people, a hundred people. It was really big. Um, wow. Okay. And um, yeah, that was my, that was my church already. So I already had that as part of my, um, and you know, just the fact that my mother and her friends were discussing the, uh, and, and my mother was reading the white goddess when I was in high school also. So, you know, I got to hear it kind of secondhand from her and her abiding interest in poetry and archaeology, Sumeria, uh, Gilgamesh and Inanna. All of those stories were um, just sort of like, well, yeah, you know. Um, so when in the 60s, when I got out of college, I was married. We came back to San Francisco because New York was New York, you know, I wasn't going mm -hmm. to, uh, it was fine, you know, going to school there at, I was at Sarah Lawrence. Um, so when I came back, uh, we had a place in San Francisco and, you know, that was, um, just before the Beatles. And then we, there was all the music revivals and the Grateful Dead and the Fillmore Auditorium and, um, sex, drugs and rock and roll. So, you know, the hippies and I was teaching um, during the summer of love and a lot of my students would be taking acid in class, which was not cool. So I tried to hustle them out, and, you know, make sure the principal didn't notice and get their friends to straighten them out. 
Right. Well, that was nice of you. I know some <laughs> teachers that wouldn't have done that. Well, uh, it wasn't like I was ignorant of the situation. And, um, <coughs> excuse me, allergies. Um, yeah, so, but the, it happened that we lived in a neighborhood um, in San Francisco. And so we got to know our neighbors and one of them was uh, Judy Greenwood, that wasn't her name then, and Aidan Kelly, and their friends, um, uh, Aidan's friend, Arif, who was a poet who became a really good friend of mine. I mean, we all became really good friends. So um, we were just sort of sitting around drinking, and we'd been involved a little bit in Peace and Freedom Party and, and stuff like that, Aidan and I, anyway. and. Um, just talking about stuff, and uh, I guess people had discovered uh, the white goddess Aiden had, and I hadn't actually personally read it. I just got, you know, kind of clips from hearing my mother talk about it, and it sounded great. It turned out our friend Arif was doing a class um, auditing. Actually, she just sat in. It wasn't like for credits, and the project uh, was to do a ritual. And we were all reading these things, and we had been reading Margaret Murray. And I was really interested in the Golden Dawn ceremonial magic. So um, anyway, to long story short, this story appears elsewhere. Uh, you know, Aiden wrote the words to it, but we all kind of joined together and co-organized what the ritual would be. And that became the basis of our open sabbats that the particular ritual and the poetry is quite excellent. Um, and so we had three women and one man that were interested in uh, actually having parts in the ritual. So that man, we had one priest and three priestesses. And so with the white goddess having a triple priestess working uh, was kind of the, the original thrust of uh, the group, which was called the new reformed Orthodox order of the golden dawn. And because, um, We'd, I'd been studying the Golden Dawn and, and ceremonial magic. And we decided that, you know, witchcraft, though, was kind of the, the right way that magic should be done. Mm -hmm. And that's why we came up with this stupid name, which I actually hate. <laughs> but, um, I was going to ask you about that. Cause it's like... I, never, I never thought it was, you know, okay, it's funny the first time, but after a million times, oh, my God. <laughs> Having to say the full name every time. <laughs> I was surprised you guys didn't shorten it to some like acronym or something like that. It is shortened. N-R-O-O-G-D, Narugd. So if you hear you say, what's Narugd? Well, there's a Wiccan tradition called Narugd. I was like, what, what kind of word is that? Well, it's okay. short for this obnoxiously long, funny uh, one-time name. Okay. Well, I learned something again. <laughs> <laughs> so during that time, you kind of worked on the foundations of your practice and traditions. Is there anything that you'd share to people possibly learning for the first time about witchcraft and going down that path? Well, I don't know if it's witchcraft per se. Okay. It's not, you know, I think for any kind of magical practice, finding the... Um, the gods that um, resonate mm -hmm. for you 
is one way to do it. Many um, traditions with elders to teach everybody um, have somebody tell them who their uh, deity is, but we didn't have that. There weren't any elders. We couldn't find them. We hunted high and low. Mm. Um, so we, you know, basically people, you, the gods that resonated and, you know, Robert Graves was a pretty good guide, uh, for some of that picking and, um, and I, I personally resonate, uh, a lot with the Greek deities. Mm. Actually, I think my first statue came from your store. My, uh, Hermes statue was, uh, from your store at Pantheacon. Uh, which which uh, statue? Uh, Hermes. Oh, Hermes. Okay. Well, or Mercury, I yeah. think is what was on the box. Yeah, the the Roman um, mm -hmm. synchronicity. Um, so, but you know that I think you know those early days, we had a pretty good idea. Also, we had a, available to us um, Gerald Gardner's uh, two books. Um, Witchcraft Today and um, The Meaning of Witchcraft, I believe it's called. Um, but so those were hard to get. Aiden had read them and he just sort of like uh, spouted those, you know, kind of outlined it. And I, I don't know if I was able to ever get a copy in, because this was in like 1967, mm. doing this in 68. So, um, yeah, just finding, you know, what seems to resonate. I never really needed a particular deity to be dedicated to. It was mostly just for me um, being out in nature, um, though often enough when later when we started having full moons, we would meet inside the house at night in somebody's living room. And, um, and so in a lot of ways, Wicca is that even though all the symbolism is outdoors, in truth, most of us witchcraft inside in a room that's either dedicated as a temple or kind of a second bedroom that gets, you know, reused or move furniture around in a dining room or whatever. Mm -hmm. So it, there's a lot of indoors in it, but, but that's kind of the ceremonial thing. I mean, the ceremonial tradition is an indoor tradition with temples because you can't just go outside in the mid you know january or something you're just not going to go out there and um, i'm not really sure whether i've sort of lost the thread of this um, question no it's fine it, it i i was following along with you just fine and it was uh i got lost with you <laughs> So I sort of wandered off into the bushes there, but you can bring me back onto some kind of path. Mr. Prime, do you have? Yeah. Um, okay. So give us a timeline. Timeline? Yeah. Give us a timeline. When did you open up uh, Ancient Ways? Oh, well, that's a whole nother storyline. Um, I opened up Ancient Ways store in um, 1988, but prior to that, the name Ancient Ways came from a festival in 
1983. The festival was before the store. I didn't, I didn't realize that. What's that? I thought that the, the festival was named for the store, not the other way and around. It was the other way around. Oh, wow. So the, the, the festival predated, uh, so in 83, uh, we had already started Covenant of the Goddess and actually Aiden and I and a bunch of other people were uh, co-founders of Covenant of the Goddess. And that was founded in- 75. 75? 1975, yeah. Anyway, um, and most of the covens in the very first beginnings of Covenant of the Goddess were Narud covens. There was like five Narud covens and two or three other covens that we found that would join with us. Uh, and later, obviously, that changed a lot because there's practically only a very few Narud covens actually uh, practicing still. Um, but anyway, we started Covenant of the Goddess in, you know, 75. So we started Narud in uh, 67, 68, and coming to the goddess, uh, grew out trying to bring together different witches' traditions uh, in 75 or so. Then um, by 83, we were doing different um, grand councils meetings for Covenant of the Goddess each year. And the name changed with whoever was doing it. So in uh, 1983, they called it the Ancient Ways Festival because it became more than just the council meeting. But there was like events and there was, uh, it was quite a grand scale of things. I was the local first officer and basically worked as the um, ops person for the grand council. And, um, it and it was at uh, Harbin Hot Springs, which is a uh, was a lovely clothing optional uh, setting, and it was quite spread out. So, the following year, uh, Cog uh, Covenant of the Goddess uh, decided to name their annual event Merry Meet, and so in '84, Merry Meet started and they abandoned this name Ancient Ways, complete with the logo. And I thought it was quite nice and it was really fun having our own local festival. So I decided to, um, since I basically organized the on the ground part of the festival, mm -hmm. not the Grand Council, but the festival part of it. So I just went ahead and said, okay, well, let's do it again. We'll do it in, uh, I think it was in June was one of the first ones. And so that was about 200 people person festival. And then that grew bigger and bigger. And by, um, let's see, by 80, anyway, it, it just grew bigger. And then in 88, by the time I opened the store, the festival was five years old. And so, um, I'd been working at Curios and Candles in San Francisco and had wanted to do something, you know, myself and in Oakland and went ahead and started that in uh, 88 and took the name for the store. So it was the Ancient Way store 
and the Angel Ways Festival. So anyway, so the, the store, Angel Ways store opened in 88 and, you know, it just, same location. It's a good thing they're retrofitting the store. Boy, the back room floor had holes in it like Swiss cheese. And the landlord would just throw uh, plywood down to fix it. <laughs> so, oh, wow. That doesn't seem appropriate at all. <laughs> well, well, you know, I, I wasn't really up to uh, shaking this tree too bad. At what point did you change from, was there a point when there was an Ancient Ways Festival and Pantheacon, or did the Ancient Ways turn into Pantheacon? The, at, at one point, um, yeah, there was about a five-year period. Um, let's see, I started the uh, Pantheacon in 94. So the store was about six years old. So basically, I kind of work on five-year plans five years of festival and then I did the store and then after five years I want to do something more but I didn't drop anything so at one point I was doing three things I was doing the festival in May the store year-round and uh, Pantheacon an indoor event in February so that kept me busy that's a lot of work. Yeah. Also, I mean, just the, just one, any one of those things is a lot and of work. And plus I was in covenants too, and, and I have other uh, magical work that I do in ATO. Oh, and plus all the work you were already doing with COG on top of all that. Yeah, periodically I was first officer of COG when, um, you know, nobody else would want the job. Right, right. and being a parent. I mean... A parent, yes, and that was uh, with two, two daughters single. Actually, though, I married um, my second husband during the 80s. Okay. But just, just being a parent, I know, speaking with my own mother, you know, that's a full-time job in itself. So I can just imagine, like, you need to have the whole Wonder Woman, <laughs> like, motif going on for you there. Well, that's what makes this period of, of uh, you know, staying in place um, and this lockdown is so very interesting to me because this is kind of the first time I've had an empty nest, not working, putting my first husband through college, which was a mistake, but whatever. Um, you know, basically, this is the first time I've just not had anything I had to do. It's so weird. Mm. I can't even. It's it's really hard. To so how long are you gonna? How long are you gonna allow yourself to just relax and enjoy it before you decide to pick up a new project? Well, my plan actually is. Uh, somebody suggested this because I was sort of like a popcorn machine. Like, well, I could do this or that or the other thing. When I, well, after I retire, I'll you know be a full time activist. After I retire, I'll do start up uh, Narut Coven again. After I retire, I'll you know. So basically, I have a, a file box full of three by five cards, and so every time one of the popcorns pop, I would put the idea onto this card list. And so I've got this whole list of things that um, I'm going to be doing, you know, like writing and music and gardening. And you mentioned something to that effect at the closing ceremony for Pantheon this year. Okay. Actually, and I just ad-libbed that. I don't remember what I said. <laughs> yeah. You mentioned a little bit about it. I'm just like, 
rest for a little bit, Glenn. Yeah, well, but that's what I'm doing. It's really marvelous, <laughs> except, you know, I basically I'm still finishing up selling in my shop and all these things. So I'm not really as, um, mm -hmm. you know. Restful is. But it's nice just puttering around doing all those household things that accumulated. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So back okay, to so the timeline. So the timeline was yeah. is that in yeah. I think the Ancient Ways Festival, I tried unsuccessfully to turn Ancient Ways Festival into kind of a co-op and we had a committee because people were agreed that the um the atmosphere at Harbin wasn't comfortable for us. The privacy was an issue. So we tried uh, a location out in Livermore and the boy, that was like, uh, either rained or it was hot. It was 112. It, you know, it was windy and it really didn't quite work there. And so basically moving the festival didn't work. I was trying to step back from it because I was, obviously I was over-programmed doing the festival, the story, and the Pantheon. So, but we did, uh, the Ancient Ways Festival had a 10th anniversary t-shirt, and but it lasted another couple of years after that before we finally just bagged it up when the locations were too, uh, we just couldn't find a new location. So then, then it was just the store and, um, Pantheacon. So Pantheacon uh, also became the place where people were going. A lot of people just don't like bugs or don't like getting 112 degree weather or they don't like, you know, uh, the wind in their hair or they don't like it if it rains on them or, you know, I mean, weather happens. Nature happens. We're actually very urban. Right. Okay. So... Pantheacon develops. We do this indoor thing, and that started what year? Uh, Ninety-four. That was it. Was about two hundred people. Again, it was kind of like the Ancient Ways Festival. Uh, same model. I invited like two hundred of my friends because we used to have sabbats. Uh, Narug had sabbats that were two hundred people. Well, there was nobody else doing Yule. Everybody came to the Narug sabbats, but that was in the you know early 70s or mid 70s you know starhawk did a ritual reclaiming i mean basically i just all the different magical groups i was involved with their new people uh through the festival they they'd already been doing things at the festival like the umbanda house uh did a wonderful bombajera ritual for years at pantheacon and um so yeah it was pretty easy for Pantheon to grow from 200 people. We very quickly outgrew the first place. And then we went to the Red Lion for one year. Uh, that was the Doubletree later. And uh, just had half, just a fraction of the hotel, the city section of it near the elevators. Um, then we moved to Oakland Convention Center for mm. a year, I think it was. But the sound walls in that were just awful, and you could hear everything happening in the next room. So that was very good. Mm. And um, you know, people laughing in one room when oh. the next room was, you know, there's always air wall problems. Then we uh, went back down to the Red Lion because that's where uh, Bacon 
had been doing um, their science fiction conventions for years. And many of us had gone to that, uh, Saber in particular. Um, he grew up in, you know, working at that hotel. And immediately, early on, it was Saber doing uh, ops. And uh, my friend John McClymans was uh, head of registration. So the first year um, at Pantheacon, we, I had like three main people doing those, you know, well, two main people plus me uh, doing the main tasks. I was doing all the programming and whatnot. And then, um, yeah, moving to different places, different people would show up. Uh, finally in San Francisco, the vendor room became really quite substantial and I was kind of overwhelmed by it. And the losses stepped up. But various people would step up at various times. I mean, you know, obviously it was a huge task and I was pretty much trying to do it myself, which made people realize that, you know, I needed help and they were happy to step up and I was happy to have people step up. And so that was, that was good. Cool. So Pantheacon has officially closed um, 26 years. And looking back on all 26 years, are you satisfied with what you helped create and brought to the community? Um, I'm satisfied with it um, in general. Uh, I think uh, the last um, hmm, five, 10 years uh, after 26, so you know, 15 growth years, peak years, then, um, unfortunately, my younger daughter uh, is a schizophrenic, and there was, she died in, in um, last year. And yeah. I was her caregiver during this time. It was quite, um, but difficult. Being, being a family member, being a caregiver with someone with serious mental illness, our society has abandoned those people. And so they're either on the street or in prison or the families are struggling. So during, I think the last 10 years of Pantheacon, my, um, I had another job besides running the retail shop and Pantheacon. Then I had the third job, which was caregiving um, for uh, someone with serious mental illness. And she, she would not, the only time she was stayed medicated was after she was put in jail um, for a year. And then she quit taking the medication. She didn't like them. So she was unmedicated, um, mostly unhoused. She spent uh, three years um, on a park bench. And there was a restraining order that expired. So I started helping her more got her off the park bench, you know. California gets wet, it rains, so it was basically she was a tent. Mm -hmm. And the, the police knew her, but um, you know, it's can't see somebody live like that. So once I was able to see her again, I um, pretty much was her, she had one friend who uh, stuck with her and was a helper, so there's just two of us uh, dealing with her homelessness and her mental illness and the you know, problems of that. And I think that um, 
in you know thinking about it in this quiet time since it's ended i think that i think i would have been more proactive in keeping um the staffing um more resilient what happened was is that it got so that we had not enough redundancy of multiple people being able to do jobs and so if you have only one person who is the key piece and things don't go work well with that person then you just can't uh the system became stiff uh as far as the um what the the main um organizers mm. since that i was supervisor of that i can see that that would uh that hindered it so yes i did a, a i think the actual content and the concept was good but the um the voices and 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 also i think the social disruption of our uh current age where we have people um being it's either my way or the highway kinds of thinking and mm -hmm. the tolerance that has existed in the past people aren't putting up with a lot of bs and i can understand that i understand personally i understand like kind of all the sides of the issue though it may not seem that way sure. and it's very difficult for many people who want to be able to keep friends of all various um varieties of thinking people who have old ideas like you know all the accusations of sexism like you know biden touching people blah 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 you know this kind of and you know men just don't touch women the way they used to you know so an old an old crock like you know in their 70s is going to feel much more permission to go up and touch a woman and say oh now dear blah 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 you know and men get slapped down for that mm -hmm. well that's what the mm -hmm. whole me too thing was about but there's a lot of the you know it's good to not put up with uh what social misbehavior right but on the other hand you can't necessarily expect you know an old dog to learn new tricks immediately well so but were there a lot of was was that really an issue with pantheacom with predators no actually because we had most of our staffing was women <laughs> so. oh okay i see i see where you're going with that mm -hmm. <laughs> Yeah, our heads of our departments are mostly women. Yeah, there was a lot of controversy the last few years uh having to deal with uh at least from my perspective because that I I know there were plenty of people that didn't necessarily see any of the controversy. And then um but from my perspective from what I've been hearing and seeing as a uh, as the former uh, one of the admins for the unofficial Pantheacon Facebook group, which by the way, had no official connection to you and the way Pantheacon was run, even though we had been accused of somehow being connected. Um, you know, we had heard a lot of the controversy was related to things, issues of race and uh, gender. And so some of the people had, uh, 
difficulties and issues with the way those particular topics were handled, either by staff, some accused, some accused you, and then others were having issues with presenters. Um, given all that had happened, would you have done anything different? Well, considering my um, preoccupation with dealing with my daughter who, you know, mm -hmm. subsequently died, um, right. how could I? Yeah. And I think a lot of people weren't taking that into consideration about well, nobody knew everything that you had. Well, and but just in the consideration of everything that you were already doing, just taking your daughter out of the equation for a moment, you were running the store, organizing a wildly successful festival. No, the festival ended in before the uh, Pantheon. Or Pantheon, that's why I meant I was referring to that. Yeah, conference in this case, uh, Pantheon. And I mean, during those four days, you are already spread so thin. Four days, dude, that's a year long. Well, Dang. during those four days, yeah. <laughs> but that's why I was getting at that. During those specific four days, you're already so thin. I don't know how, when we see you, you're standing upright. Cause it's a lot. It's a lot to do. It is a lot. Well, that was kind of my show, is to, once I was able to have some really good department heads, to show that everything is running smoothly. And so I would sort of, uh, I was like the fire department and people only like really troubled me with issues and sometimes they protected me too much. Maybe um, they that was you know, actually going to be my follow up. Please show up or the fire department show up or something like that. Um, and so I would, you know, float through the festival or the conference, you know, like everything's going great. And, you know, basically that was my job was to to show the face of tranquility that things are, are moving along fine. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was actually going to be my next follow or the follow up question was with your help that you did end up getting running Pantheon, I uh, ended up getting to see a little bit of the behind the scenes this year uh, asking I had to go into operations to ask where we could oh, set yeah. up for uh, recording our podcast. And it was just like, I saw literally somebody sitting in the middle of multiple screens, like in the movies, you see all these different screens with everything going on. I'm just like, Oh wow. <laughs> what were all the screens for? And everything's being, um, I tried not to look. I'm assuming like you've got your schedule on one page and keeping track of things on another. I don't know. There were multiple. I don't know. They might've been playing games <laughs> on one of the screens. Too. <laughs> That's very possible. But it was an impressive layout and it was just like, Oh, wow. Yeah. I don't know why I wouldn't have thought that this needed something of this scale. And you had people working in the room and, they pop in, give a report, and then pop out, and then be like, "Okay, I'm just sitting here waiting for yeah." You got you got runners going back and forth between every single one of the presenters' rooms, uh, you know, in case there's any problems with any of the audio or visual, you know, technical stuff. And then 
you know, if you've somehow misplaced a presenter and there's a room full of people waiting and so you have somebody else running around, it, it's the crazy nerve center of the whole event. It's wildly busy uh, 24 seven through the whole, like for days before mm -hmm. and for I think a day or so after because they still have to do all the cleanup after. Yeah. And lost and found and everything like that. Well, but, one of the things is that, you know, basically running a conference is a, a, a logistics yeah. type of job. And I think people were, because the conference was running so well, really, um, people imagined that there was somehow uh, some kind of uh, great judge or philosopher behind it and that could decide things and um, do policies that would be just so. And the fact is, is that our whole society is riddled with huge mm -hmm. dilemmas. And to expect really a logistics team to be an arbiter of all of that is, um, well, a fantasy. That, that's not really the job. It's like asking the librarian to be judge and jury. It's just not really what it's designed right. for. You know, or to set me up as some kind of arbiter of correctness. Me? Yeah. I personally feel that in some ways you were crucified for, for things that were not necessarily under your control. And um, I'm not really sure how things broke down with regards to other issues, but some of the stuff that I saw you were getting blamed for were not things that you could have been reasonably exp expected to either predict or um, control. Well, and, and in fact, dealing with someone with schizophrenia, I've been accused of that for decades. And I know it's an unreasonable thing to be, you know, uh, asked to do things that are impossible. And so, you know, I just went ahead and did the best I could, which, you know, of course is never good enough for some people. Yeah. I mean, yeah. nobody's perfect. The truth is. Mm -hmm. And actually there's no way I could have done and perfectly for everyone That's why yeah it's impossible what were some of your favorite memories we've kind of gone over some things that you felt you could have done better but what are some of your favorite memories regarding the past festivals pantheacon uh work with early cog any of those that you might have like these stand out as being shining examples well actually the um you know and, and people have in, in some of the memorabilia people shared on Facebook, you know, read. And I think the peak years at Pantheon were, uh, showed the uh, tremendous diversity that we had in mm. the area and California, you know. So I, I really saw Pantheon as being a West Coast thing. And, and I, in truth, I think um, our thinking is a little bit different here than it is in other parts of the country. So when it became more uh, populated by people from 
other parts of the country, um, ideas uh, diverged somewhat from what's accepted here. And that caused some the stresses and strains. However, the truth of it is, is that the, the glory of Pantheon was its diversity, but it was also its, there should be another word instead of glory of it, but it was its sorrow that all the diversity was so diverse, it couldn't all hold together. Mm-hmm. You can only so diverse, and then there's an excessive diversity. How could that be? It seems hard to picture. And yet that, that extreme diversity um, was also a downside. Mm-hmm. I love the diversity. I love seeing uh, ceremonial magic, druids, witches, um, polytheists. I've, I'm leaving out dozens of different you know, paths. But the fact is, is that each of us has our own path and the whole diversity of uh, people. And, and maybe it wasn't as diverse as our, uh, as our societies and cities are, like POC questions, you know, yeah, mm-hmm. Oakland. I tried getting people from parts of Oakland uh, more involved in, but I think, I think it kind of just was what it was. I mean, some people I think didn't want to join in because they didn't want to be swallowed up by it and uh, didn't necessarily want to share their, um, like some of the Santeria groups, Mm. you know, didn't uh, respond to any, uh, you know, efforts to get them to join in. And I think they didn't want to be swamped. They didn't Mm -hmm. want to be, um, you know, they like their secrecy and that's fine too. Mm -hmm. But there was the diversity that, that for me is, you know, the fine part, but it was also uh, a difficult part too. Right. I I understand that. Now that, you know, the sale of the stores finishing up and this last, uh, Pantheacons wrapped up. How do you, I'm assuming it's kind of a bittersweet feeling to see the torch kind of pass on to other people with the new group uh, between the veils trying to prepare to. I, I frankly, I, 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 I worry for their, the challenge that they're mm-hmm. going to face with this um, new reality of pandemic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Our group meetings are just not going to be as feasible. There's already uh, Cog has canceled its annual in-person merry meet. Uh, yeah, but luckily we could, if if people have the ability, they could uh, do an online version. Right, and actually, I'm working with some climate uh, groups, um, 350 Bay Area, and all the. Uh, a lot of cities and counties have declared climate emergencies in the Bay Area. So I'm working with um, people to uh, figure out a way, instead of having a big convention like uh, had been planned, to do um, webinars and uh, you know Zoom meetings. There's all kinds of new technologies there that can be used. I think something new is going to have to grow yes. out of this. And I'm picturing, and I had already begun to picture for Pantheacon had it been able to continue. Um, 
doing podcasts and having people uh, zoom in to a screen. We did that with Theurgicon. That was a, about three or four years I did one, uh, a, a little conference dedicated to um, Neoplatonism and, and magic of that sort. And we, we were able to get John Apasas to um, zoom in and be part of that. I mean, it was only about 40 people, so 30 people even. Um, but that worked. And I could see expanding on that uh, mixed thing where you have a few people with people zooming in at the same time. And so smaller things. So they're going to, it's going to be a tricky uh, adaptation. And I actually wonder if the hotel itself will be um, doing as well. There's a lot of uh, questions about hotels being, um, you know, petri dishes. And, right. You know, and, the, and all the airlines that had regular uh, sections of the hotel just for them. We could never get the hotel, a whole hotel, because the airlines had their contracts there. And um, I, I have my doubts, but I, I think, you know, with some intelligent use of, uh, you know, Zoom type of meetings, mm -hmm. that, that stuff will be developed. Cog's working on that, in fact. Yeah, that is a reality that we all are having to face because other elements that we're uh, a part of uh, are having the exact same issue. You, we can't go out to these public places because it's dangerous. And something I've recognized in a lot of our friends, they're in a compromised situation. Even myself, I have asthma. So I'm yeah. very cautious about going out and <laughs> I'm it, 78 too. Right. So, and that's a large part of our populace in the pagan communities. We have a lot of older folks who like to go up to these events and sometimes that's the only thing that they get to do. That was part of the reason why Pantheon was such a big deal for some of our friends was it was one of the few indoor events that they could go to. We had a we had one of the best I think uh, setups for people in wheelchairs for people with uh, various disabilities being mm -hmm. accommodated. We had our special needs section. So, yeah, I don't think it's bittersweet at all. I I think I was I think it was just amazingly kind of convenient, wonderful uh, coincidence that this was the last Pantheacon because I don't mm -hmm. think it, could have, uh, it wasn't going to survive, you know, what's going to happen next is not going right. to be the same. Right. Our whole society is at a huge turning point. Personally, I'm fascinated as a social scientist. Um, and I'm, you know, actually excited about working with uh, the climate justice community and the other things and in working up, uh, new stuff. So, you know, I, I felt in a way leaving Pantheacon behind, I was already worried about uh, the coronavirus. Um, mm -hmm. In January, I asked my daughter to order a bunch of masks for Pantheacon, and they mm -hmm. were out of stock of them in January. Right. I was already reading this uh, news, and I was already very aware. In fact, I was wondering if I would catch it at Pantheacon. 
because mm-hmm. I was concerned because we had so many people coming from so many And places. it turns out that it Some was actually here Malaysia. sooner than they thought. In February, okay. I think they said, mm-hmm. um, where they had originally diagnosed their first U.S. case, that maybe that was incorrect, that it had actually been here sooner. Uh, and they, I think they declared the first death up in... The first case in California was in yeah. Santa Clara County, which is where Pantheacon was located. And that was in, uh, I think, the end yeah. of January. So it was already beginning to show up. And I was very aware of it. I just let myself be hugged by everybody. I just figured, oh, well, you know, <laughs> so I just had myself. I became a huggy doll. <laughs> I think I was actually. Yeah. We were still. We weren't really adhering to social distancing. We were still hugging. To a people. degree, but I was. I was still like I. I know that I had the ask first ribbon on my name, name tag. Yeah, so did I. Mostly because I. Well, that, yeah, the the uh, the red uh, bar, you know, don't hug type of thing. I mean, generally speaking, I'm not a big hugger, but I just sort mm-hmm. of over to it at this one because I know it was the last one and it made people feel good to you right. know you know give me a hug so okay so I, I just sort of got into getting a bunch of hugs that I wasn't really you know feeling you know physically right. like good. <laughs> oh I, I used the yellow ribbon specifically because the first year before I had that ribbon on uh, occasionally I'd have people who took too much uh, liberty with what they felt oh. was their, uh, they didn't respect I'm going to remind you space. that somebody didn't respect the ribbon or your personal space at all this year. No, I, I remember, I remember I actually had to go get somebody to talk to this person and have them removed from one of the hospitality rooms because, yeah, yeah because they would not respect my wishes of not being touched. They kept grabbing them. That that's again, you know, people are women have not wanted to been touched, and mm-hmm. I actually gave a, a a stranger at the the quiet bar at uh, DoubleTree this year. Mm-hmm. And we were, I was sitting there with my friend Rowan, and he was like, he was like touching his own. What's going on here? He was obviously from you know the Midwest or someplace very clueless, and he was just a very touchy guy. And basically, we were just like, Rowan said, "Well, don't." touch me and then and then um he went off and then he kept coming back and going well oh, really you know and then he touched me and I was like that's what, <laughs> that's what the me too thing's about you know and he was just like so people like that would be showing up at PantheonCon. I mean he he happened to be just a traveler he wasn't mm-hmm. actually but but actual members of PantheonCon, people who were pagans who would be coming right. like that so what do you do? And, uh, yeah, and I can understand when people are, you know, they're huggers or they, they're tactile, they get that feeling. But when somebody specifically asks you, hey, or tells you, hey, you're making me feel uncomfortable, please stop, and you don't, now you've crossed that line from being somebody who's just really tactile to... Just disregarding a person's wishes. Yeah. But, but but actually a lot of people who are just tactile mm-hmm. are not just tactile. That's their privilege speaking mm-hmm. for them that they can invade your space. They can do anything they want and it's okay. Right. And that 
I ended up, like I said, having to notify somebody and that person was then talked to, I believe by one of, one of the uh, volunteers went up and talked to them about, you know, respecting people's personal space. There's a, there's an interesting uh, thing where the, the difference between volunteer and staff mm -hmm. and we, our, our staff have all volunteered to take the job, but it's not like they don't get anything. They, they mm -hmm. always got their room and board and it's right. not, like they're just volunteers, like somebody who, you know, so, walks off the street. I mean, we have a few of them, but most of our staff have been called volunteers because they mm -hmm. stepped up to the job, um, not through a financial uh, repayment. Right. Through, and some of them took the job because they got room and board. Mm -hmm. But it, it's caused a misconception that I wasn't doing anything for the employees or the staff mm -hmm. there made it look like I was just like uh, taking advantage of all these volunteers, which isn't the case at all. Technically, the law in California, the labor code, if it's a for-profit event, the staff must be paid. I pay workman's comp every year. I pay workman's comp for $30,000 worth of, um, you know, uh, staff you know for pantheacon i had workman's comp come in and audit me and i added that in like you know 10 years 15 years i've been paying workman's comp for staff mm -hmm. so they aren't volunteers that's sort of a different thing <laughs> okay but so the staff then yeah somebody on the staff for pantheacon actually talk to this person and i think because i brought somebody's attention i know that that's been a problem in the past some people are like oh the staff didn't do anything it's like did you bring it to their attention and usually it's like oh well they should know and i'm like how Tell many eyes that. do they have Job description. <laughs> how should they just know <laughs> And, and that has been legitimately some people's responses when like, oh, this happened. I'm like, that, that's horrible. I'm sorry that happened to you. What did you do? Did you tell anybody? Did you let, no, no, no. I just let it go. And I'm like, okay, so, you, yeah. you, you're See, throwing that, the shade to the event. and But that's the expectation. The effectiveness of the conference Mm -hmm. And the capabilities of the conference was so good that people had expectations raised to the point of impossibility. Right. Very unrealistic. It, it really was. And that I don't want to discredit anybody's thoughts or experiences because we all have our own. But being able to take that step out and go off and say, hey, I understand what's going on here. This wasn't ideal for me. Here's how thing. Here's how I can help people help me, uh, and make things better. People jump on, uh, like the bandwagon, cancel culture, things like that. You see it on Twitter quite a bit. Sometimes it's legitimate. I, I and I don't want to discredit anybody's opinions or thoughts on it. But in other cases, like, what did you do to help solve this problem? Like, did you bring it to the attention of people who might have been able to make change and make it better. And 
from my experience personally, when I brought it to your staff's attention that something was happening that was not good, they stepped in and took care of the issue immediately. It, yeah, that actually, I'm amazed that you had the wits to do yeah, that. Sometimes, unfortunately, mm -hmm. people don't sometimes. Well, and there's there's places there that were meant for people to have a safe space if they needed it. Right. And I don't know if it's people don't think about those things. They don't read the, uh, the pamphlet or the booklet that they got uh, when they signed in or what happened there. But there were places there. As far as I'm aware, you guys have always had some safe places or quiet places for people who have felt overwhelmed. Yeah. Uh, so what can you do? Mm -hmm. You know, if, if people keep upping the bar, uh, but you know, if people raise the bar of expectations higher and higher and higher, you know, so it's always a, like one more leap. Mm -hmm. it, it's like they set it higher and higher and they're expecting you to fail. And I know you don't necessarily get to hear the good stuff that happens. Actually, I do hear a lot of okay. good stuff and there is a lot of good stuff. And in fact, you know, the percentage is probably, it's just that the uh, the complaint department is well, yeah. louder. But that's life in and, general. You know, whether it's this conference or, you know, uh, the movie theater or it, it, the complaints are always louder than the compliments. That's just the way. It is. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I must say that at, at various points, I found it. I'm a very super sensitive mm -hmm. person and um, I pick up on a room full of vibes very quickly. Mostly the rooms at PantheaCon were fine every but you know some of the stuff aimed at me was like um you know soul searing mm -hmm. and on the other hand it it was growth for me because i you know i can see that it's like this isn't necessarily my problem that people are projecting things on me or high expectations that no one could reach and you know it's given me what uh, a certain amount of I've been through so many difficult things in my life that you know dealing with a schizophrenic uh, on an almost daily basis you know you just learn how to uh, shake it off after a while and if it's somebody else's problem you can only do as much as you can do to help them right and Pantheacon could only do as much as it could do to help people with these societal uh, breaking points that we've had, the, the awakenings and awareness that we have. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it, it's good to get this awareness, but it can be, you know, hard getting there. Yeah. And I, I, I had the same feeling while I was at Pantheacon most of the time. People were really good. It was kind of a it, great to see everybody one more time type thing. But then you'd have occasional people just throwing off bad vibes. There were a couple times during our, while we were sitting down, either recording or having food down at the bar there. Yeah that's one of the ways to react to it is kind of a nihilistic mm. reaction of just bring yeah, it right. down bring it down it, because 
you can see it's a brittle, fragile society, and the top 0.1% own 80% own more than the 80% bottom mm-hmm. people. I mean, the inequalities of our society, the brittleness, are, you know, people's uh, reactions to it bring it with them. And I think they projected some of that, um, you know, powers that be onto Pantheon, me and, and whatnot, mm-hmm. that, you know, the kind of the bring it down uh, nihilistic I'm aware thinking. of a few people that were interested in definitely sending some uh, energy to make sure that Pantheon didn't do didn't people didn't have a good time that particular mm-hmm. year and um or they were attacking you or they were attacking um you know members of your staff um just well you know the society is coming down so you know it's is somebody has on one of their signatures things is it's easier to to break down than to build mm-hmm. up mm-hmm easier to knock down the tower than it is to build it. But what we're going to be dealing with now, the people who like to build is what do we build from here? I'm excited about it because I think, you know, the, um, this whole transition is going to uh, make things more localized. And I think that's healthy. I think we were too spread all over people different diverse mentalities were coming to Pantheacon, but not just, you know, it wasn't just a a West Coast Bay Area thing anymore. It it became, you know, international even. And, okay, that's lovely that people liked it, but, 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 you know, I think local is good and I think small is good. I'm totally up for doing smaller things Mm -hmm. now. And, I'm not going to just drop my interests and focus for all these years. On the other hand, I'm kind of enjoying uh, just kicking back and watch people deal with it. And then, gee whiz, it looks so easy when you did it. <laughs> yes, indeed. Like being a single mother looked really easy when I was doing it. Because you have to show that, you know, I mean, you know, either you either laugh or you cry. Right. No, that's, I, I, having been raised by a single mother, I, anytime I see somebody who's doing their best raising a kid, I mean, I give them props for that. Even just trying your best, that's, that's something. We were all muddling through is what mm-hmm. we do. So <clears throat> I want to go back a bit. What what was it like the early days of COG in creating what what got you to um, help co-create the organization to begin with? What were the events that led to that? Um, well, I guess in the Bay Area we had a pretty strong Wiccan community, mostly because of Narug's um, open sabbats, and um, we had our coven meetings at full moon. And we had about five different covens. We were looking and looking for other people, you know, to kind of help move things along. 
we couldn't find any elders. So we looked for other people who were doing things. And, you know, we some of us flew down to Los Angeles and um, met people like Church of Eternal Source that were Egyptian. So instead of developing a pagan um, covenant of the goddess, we it was a, a Wiccan one. It seemed easier to focus on just uh, witchcraft. Personally, I kind of prefer more pagan in general approach, which is why Pantheacon, when it was up to me. Um, Covenant of the Goddess was, it was fun just reaching out to people again. That's, and just like the, all the Sabbaths were the reaching out that we did locally so that we had people showing up, uh, coming to our eight Sabbaths a year or here or there. And just being able to be a gateway, which is why I was a teacher. In some ways, you know, all of this is like me being a teacher and a gateway for people to come into um, witchcraft and paganism. So COG was, you know, we had a lot of people ready to, you know, run with it. So that was good. And of course, I was a single parent working, so I was happy to see other people do stuff. When I joined COG was 2003-2004, and you were the current national first officer. Oh my God, that year was a It was the year. last year of the discussions about Chicago. It was in Dallas, Fort Worth, uh, for Mary Meet. And... Um, I had no idea what the drama was with Chicago at that point in time. And, oh uh, you know, I've been told a few things here and there, but I really didn't have any idea what it was about until later when I did a little more research. And then I was like, oh, I'm kind of glad I didn't really know what it was. But I sat in that meeting <laughs> in the in the actual um, Grand Council through the whole of that. Oh, my God. And uh, learned a few things. One about the process, um, how the Grand Council meetings go, and then also about people's opinions about different local councils and um, had to step up at least once and talk on behalf of Orange County. Um, but then we did the, uh, the tea dance that Saturday night. And I, I remember watching you during the, the board meeting, but then seeing you at the dance that night. I looked at you and I said, I want to be here when I grow up. You, <laughs> Oh, yes. I used to scandalize. I remember one of the early Pantheacons. I was totally dressed up with knit nylons and high heels. And uh, I had a piercing, septum piercing, had feathers coming out of the piercing. And our head of uh, tech or ops, I think it was ops at that time, or tech, said so he wanted to introduce me to the manager of the hotel. I had just come down out of the elevator, and here I am decked out in, like, radical party garb. <laughs> I turn around, and this person is just looking at me. He's like, yes. <laughs> I think you had, a, you had a bustier on and uh, yeah, a... Yeah. A riding crop and it, it was a it was a masquerade <laughs> type thing going on there were costumes and stuff but you came out and in your outfit and I was right. like and you were just dancing 
you were dancing by yourself, having a really great time, just enjoying yourself. And I'm like, dang, that is awesome. I want to be like that when I get older. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. That was, um, yeah, I'd been hanging out with, um, some of the leather folks up mm. in San Francisco and it gotten into that, uh, my, my second husband, anyway, um, <laughs> <laughs> stories and stories. Yes. Uh, but yeah, I hosted a lot of, uh, the, uh, you know, people like the Karen Carla came and did stuff at Pantheacon. Uh, that was pretty, you know, I outraged some people, I'm sure, but you know, then, you know, I think 10 years later, 15 years later, people, young people who are 30, can't imagine someone my age knowing anything about any of that. <laughs> when your generation was pioneers on all that stuff, right? Well, let's see. My generation was the Fillmore Auditorium and lots of sex, drugs, exactly. and rock and roll. Exactly. That was my, my teacher... My teacher's in that generation, so. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, she is. <laughs> I, I learned so much about the teacher. I wonder if you two know each other. Yes. It's very, very possibly. Uh, his teacher uh, and you. I'm like, I wonder if you guys know each other. I'm sure you've met at some point. Well, considering that um, there was a road trip up to San Francisco around that time. Who was on the road My trip? teacher. Uh, well, no, I mean, like, since then, like, through the oh, pagan community, if Glenn, very and, possible. Um, and if Glenn and she know each other, because if not, I'm sure they would get along pretty, pretty well. You guys are oh, kind of um, a, a similar cut, let me just say, off, mm -hmm. of the, off the same clock kind of thing. Actually, there's a Dragonstone person, uh, Ganymede, who was a, I was part of Black Leather Wings, and they were hanging out with Takir and Carla and so on up there. So there's a whole, you know, history mm. of that. Interesting. In fact, there's a whole section of uh, Black Leather Wings folks who are Dragonstone tread. Well, right now, I'm, I'm just uh, doing the Gardnerian circle. But I'm going to amp up. We're, we're figuring out a way to meet and still be six feet apart outside. Mm. It seems like it'd be easier outside. Mm -hmm. I have a big backyard. That's good. I'm trying to remember if I saw it when I was over there. If it was winter, it was probably too uh, much. When I came over to your house, it was your birthday. Oh, well, then it would have been um, summer. Yeah, August. Part of it still was outside for August. Oh, yeah, it was August. Okay, yeah. I'm like, I was, because you told me about it at uh, Grand Council, and then I just happened to be up there that weekend for my cousin's wedding, and uh, I left her wedding reception and came over, and I was late. Everybody had already left. Was that my, was that my, one of my giveaway, uh, hob, you know, Hobbit birthday parties where you had to take something? No gifts, but you had to take something away. I had like a rummage sale in my I, no, driveway. I don't think so. I was just people to take stuff That's away. A, you know, I my friend William has done that several times in order to like purge his book collection and stuff like that. He'll have a he'll have everybody come over and he's like, take a book, take a whatever, and send them off with some things. So, yeah, no, it wasn't that year. Um, it was 
I think the uh, when I was national first officer. So that was 2016, 17. Okay. You know, that year I was first officer that you your first meeting. I took that job and then that was the year, same year my daughter started really going oh, off geez. the rails. That was really on top. And, and one of my good friends was dying of prostate cancer. That, that turned out, I thought, oh, I don't have that much to do. I, I can step in and deal with this. They were trying to railroad people. There was no due process at that COG meeting. I was like horrified. Yeah, I basically stepped up to make sure that due process was followed and not just have some sort of lynching going on. My father was a lawyer and my grandfather and my brother. Wow. That's a lot. <laughs> yeah. It took me a minute to really like, oh, wait, okay. Yeah, just thinking about the scope of everything there. I want to thank you for spending some time with us, Glenn. My pleasure. It, in this time of um, lockdown or, you know, shelter in place, uh, it's uh, the Zoom uh, interview is quite fun. That's what we can do. <laughs> yes. Well, thank you so much for taking the time and uh, talking about your extensive like experiences with all this. I, I know a lot of people probably didn't realize that like you had conventions before the store because right? I know that's a common like thread with a lot of people. Yeah, yeah. The, the festival first, then the store, then the convention. Yeah, I didn't realize that, but that was the timeline. And and if you really look at it. But, but actually the timeline before that was uh, Narugd and COG and then doing the festival grew out of my, you know, so it all just actually was a, a just a stepwise See, path. See, I had always from the doing COG to doing the Mary COG first ancient ways festival to doing the store. Well, that was sort of you know, and then the and I had always thought that Narug came because of COG, not before COG. So I mm -hmm. had that timeline confused no, no. as well. Narug was actually, you know, nobody likes to say it, but. Uh, we dominated COG for the first two or three years because there was nobody else in the Bay Area. I mean, just a couple other covens, that was it. No, I think that part I think I did know. Um, but I didn't realize, I don't know, for some reason I thought because of COG, Narug formed, not it had formed first and then COG. Right. I mean, basically Narug formed okay. COG. Mm -hmm. All right. Yeah. Well, yeah. Cool. Well, thank you. Yes, thank you so much. <laughs>